Hello everyone and welcome. This is Molly Rowan Leach and I am your host for the ongoing Telecouncil series sponsored by the Peace Alliance, Restorative Justice on the Rise. This Telecouncil archive features Steve Kaur of the International Institute for Restorative Practices. You can find out more about IIRP at iirp.edu. You can also find out more about this Telecouncil series, its archives, and upcoming guest speakers at dopeace.us. That's D-O-P-E-A-C-E dot U-S. Thank you and enjoy this powerful conversation with Steve Kaur of the International Institute of Restorative Practices. Good evening, everybody, and such a warm welcome to you all. This is your host, Molly Rowan Leach, and on behalf of the Peace Alliance, it's such a warm welcome to you to this ongoing telecouncil series, Restorative Justice on the Rise. Of course, many of you have, are fairly regular with us, but if it's your first time here, an additionally warm welcome to you. This is an hour-long telecouncil that happens on a weekly basis, although we will be taking a brief break over, over the next uh, holiday week, and we'll come back on January 2nd with um, a pioneer in peace building, Johan Galtung. And January 2013 is going to be um, an honoring and a focus on indigenous perspectives in restorative justice, and we'll feature some incredible voices from around the world's indigenous traditions, as many as, as we can actually. In fact, possible additional special sessions in the new year. All January will be indigenous practices um, and, and perspectives in restorative justice. We know that our indigenous peoples have practiced um, some form of RJ since the beginning of, of their time as uh, a tradition and a culture. So, Please join us in January and go to dopeace.us. You'll find that there's a tab all the way to the right that says Restorative Justice. If you click on that, you can go and access free all of the archives from not only this year and this season, but also from last season, including some powerful conversations with people doing just amazing work on the ground, um, like Lois DeMott from Citizens uh, for Prison Reform, uh, Azim Kamisa, who founded the Tariq Kamisa Foundation, James O'Dee, who is a, uh, an internationally renowned peace builder, Arun Gandhi, Gandhiji's grandson, Kay Pranis, and the list goes on and on. There are so many people out in the world doing such important work as we are shifting systemically. Before I introduce tonight's very special guest, I just again want to say a few details about tonight. Um, if you are interested in engaging in the circle live with co uh, conversational comments, questions for our special guest, or just general observations, all you have to do is press 1 on your telephone keypad at any time during tonight's call, which goes till the top of the next hour you can do so just again by pressing 1 on your keypad. Now if you're Skyping in, 
go ahead and do the same on your Skype pad. It should work just fine. Just by pressing 1, it should alert us that you might have a question or a comment. So without further ado, I just um, really want to thank Steve Kaur for coming, um, coming out tonight to be with us. And there's obviously a lot of holiday travel happening right now this week. But I just want to say a few words about Steve and um, what of, one of the places that he is an instructor, of course, is the International Institute of Restorative Practices. Now, if you haven't checked out IIRP, again, International Institute of Restorative Practices, you can go to IIRP.org. And I'm also going to invite Steve to share with us any other websites he might recommend um, or things that he'd like to point us to because we know that one of the things that's super helpful in, um, in our work together is mobilizing online and seems to be a great resource for, for finding out more of, of what's working, what's not. Um, that's why we have this platform here, the Peace Alliance. It's really important to the National Peace Alliance to provide a place where people can hear from others on the leading edge of this important conversation. Steve has been working with young people and their families since 1985. He worked for over a decade in several of the IIRP's model schools as both a counselor and a school administrator, employing restorative practices with students, families, and staff. Steve has provided professional development in restorative practices to thousands of professionals in education, criminal justice, and social services from all over the world. He has facilitated many restorative conferences, both formal and informal, to address the needs of all who have been impacted by crime and wrongdoing. He draws upon these experiences to instruct others in restorative practices. Steve has extensive experience also in the fields of mental health, drug and alcohol treatment, outpatient counseling, and alternative education. He has also consulted with numerous leaders within faith-based organizations to facilitate restorative interventions for families dealing with the strain of an addicted family member. And so it's just uh, an honor to have you with us tonight, Steve. Welcome. Uh, thank you so much, uh, Molly. I really appreciate being here um, this evening and having an opportunity just to talk a little bit about uh, the, some of the, the, the work that the IARP is doing and uh, just share some of my experiences. I. Um, I have used that introduction, Molly, uh, you know, for uh, many times. But to uh, to hear you read it out loud like that, with the with the inflection in your voice, it makes it sound like it's a pretty impressive person. <laughs> and I'm like, wow, is that me? <laughs> but uh, whatever I can share, uh, I certainly don't feel that way about myself. But uh, whatever I can I can share to be a benefit to people, I'm, I'm uh, humbled to do so. Well, we, we're really excited here at the Peace Alliance to be hearing from you tonight and, and in great respect of, of what you've been up to um, day to day. And I wonder, just as we often do during these councils, would you be willing to share with us a bit about what brought you into this line of work? Uh, any kind of stories you'd like to share? What drives you to provide the kind of services um, and then a little bit later on, we'll go on into the, the specifics of them. But just give us some insight about what, what made you feel moved to come into this field. 
Um, well, absolutely, very willing to share that. And um, you know, I, I think my my story is, uh, is is a little comical. The way that I kind of, uh, quite honestly, um, kind of stumbled on um, to some of this work. Um, uh, you know, literally for me, growing up, uh, my my mother was a uh, was a psychiatric nurse and um, uh, you know director of nursing for a couple of different um, couple of different organizations and. Uh, uh, I remember many summers uh, spent with her uh, on the grounds of, of various facilities and all of that. So um, it kind of grew up around uh, that type of work, that type of, of interacting, I mean, literally. And uh, so it was always, um, you know, something that felt rather natural for me working uh, with people with those types of those types of issues and, and struggles. Um, went away to college and and uh, was a psych major. That was that was my thing. I uh, actually wrote in a little in a little booklet in third grade that I wanted to go to college and be a psych major, which looking back now is kind of funny. Um, also uh, played basketball through college and, and was a psych major. But anyway, uh, when I came out, went went right back to if you will um, working in the uh, in the in the psych hospitals and psych facilities and and doing all of that. Which, which was fine, and I certainly am not interested in making any kind of uh, comments, you know, about that. It's critical and important work, but certainly for me. And again, here's the kind of just uh, like I kind of fell into stuff. I mentioned playing basketball. You know, I'm I'm, a, I'm not a not a small person by any stretch of the imagination, and and I found myself in in um, in, in the psych hospitals, you know, needing to. You know, where it was a hands-on or a physically, you know, where you use physical restraints and all of that, and so it's just kind of going around, and and certainly uh, that wasn't an everyday occurrence. But whenever there was problems like that, you know, I'm wrestling with this person or wrestling with that person, as you know, as well as with the with the other parts of the team, and and uh, you know, wanted to see people be safe and be okay and not hurt themselves. But you know, I kind of really just got into I, this. There's got to be another way. There's got to be, uh, um, you know, it's just not very satisfying for me, and certainly it was not a very clear manifestation of, of what was in my heart and what I felt about, um, you know, how I want to treat people. And so a good friend of mine had um, just quite honestly, coming out of the newspaper, interviewed for a position at one of the alternative schools. Um, for the Community Service Foundation, or Bucksmont Academy, which is actually the sister organization to the to the IARP, um, the alternative school setting uh, came well before the graduate school. They started CSF Bucksmont Academy started doing that work um, in southeastern Pennsylvania with troubled and at-risk youth in 1977, and so he. Um, Started. Uh, he also worked in psych hospitals with me prior to that, and um, he called me up one day and he said, "Steve, you got to come check this out. You know, it's, we're working with young people, and it's a hands-off program. We don't restrain people, and we don't do all of that. Uh, we actually, you know, talk with people and and help them explore their options and all of this." And um, I was a bit skeptical, like how do you how do you get you know angry young people and all that to actually be safe with one another? And so, uh, but he talked me into it and decided to to go um, give it a shot. And um, so early on in my in my work there for the Community Service Foundation, a very interesting uh, 
situation happened. We had a student that got very upset, anger management problems, uh, you know, the, the really poor history, all that stuff, and kind of locked himself in, if you will, or barricaded him, himself under a like a heavy table that was used in our industrial arts room and pulled a bunch of chairs in front of him. And um, uh, Ted and Susan Wattel are, are the founder of the organization. And Susan Wattel uh, came to the school that day and saw this young man there. Well, I'm used to, and I'm going to you know, grab this kid and do all these types of things. And Susan just kind of knelt down and very lovingly but firmly you know, introduced her. Hi, my name's Susan, and, and I own these, this school and a couple other schools. So she was very clear about where she was coming from. And she said, I just want to let you know, you, you're not allowed to act this way here. Uh, we just have higher expectations for you than that. So why don't you crawl on out and let's sit down and, and talk. I want to be able to talk directly to you. Well, much to my surprise, the student just crawled right out, sat down in a chair, and had a conversation. And, um, and I'm just standing there just blown away by how simple and how real and how powerful just treating somebody with the dignity and the respect and all of that. So I became mm. really, really thrilled, yeah, and just knowing that, wow, this is, this is, <laughs> this is where I want to be. And, and um, as we uh, really developed in our, in our work in the, in the alternative school, um, you know, part of our history is in the, in the early 90s, early to mid-90s, really coming across uh, some of the principles of restorative justice. Um, Terry O'Connell from Australia had come over to North America, shared some things around conferencing. We got connected with that and just realized there was a tremendous overlap. And um, that's when we kind of started to take a look at the restorative justice conferencing and doing some professional development around that. And then also took a look at expanding the paradigm uh, to not just you know, be, and again, with restorative justice, it certainly is by, by no means just solely reactive, but how do we apply that in the proactive sense to build the community and the connection? And that's where we um, you know, came up with restorative practices and, and what that looks like on a day-to-day on -day basis. Mm. Steve, would you mind please sharing uh, a bit about what your understanding of restorative practices is. What what does this mean? I know that, that it's interesting because uh, the last few times that we've come together for this council, I've done a survey of uh, who, where people are coming from, and oftentimes many many people are coming to this council really interested in what restorative justice and practices might mean. Um, but just beginning to, to learn and understand um, for themselves in, in whatever form that may mean. So I'm curious to hear from you, what, what, what is your, I, I guess for lack of a better word, definition of restorative justice or restorative practices? Well, I, I think it's, it's critical when we, when we take a look at that um, to, to, to start with um, you know, restorative justice. and. Uh, which many, you know, came well before the work that we did with restorative practices. We owe, you know, a lot of, of what we do with the, you know, the great work and the, and the framework and the evidence, you know, behind um, restorative justice. Uh, you know, that whole concept of bringing together people in the wake of harm, giving them an opportunity to talk about how they were impacted, what their needs are, and, you know, what needs to happen. Um, you know, to make things right. 
Well, as an organization, when we first started doing training around the formal, what we call the formal um, uh, restorative conference, I mean, as, as many people are, everybody on this call knows, I mean, the, 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 the outcomes are just unbelievable and, and very, very powerful, and particularly when you take a look at the data compared to the like, traditional uh, criminal justice, it's, it's just powerful, powerful. And um, so we just simply asked ourselves the question, um, well, let me, I, I skipped a step there, I apologize. So we, we um, started to take a look at, uh, so let's travel around again. We come from alternative school background and said, you know, we, we, feel, we felt we had an obligation or we you know, did some things well, did a lot of things well in our, in our alternative schools and even, you know, got uh, re, you know, uh, evaluated by an outside researcher and had some really uh, positive outcomes and were able to, to demonstrate some positive outcomes and we said, you know, this, we have a responsibility to, to kind of share this with other people. And the way that we first started to do that was with the formal conferencing. Um, did some things with innovation uh, departments at that time. And, uh, but really kind of found a, a niche with, uh, with education. And, uh, you know, uh, teachers in schools were being frustrated by, you know, they come to school, have a passion for the work, uh, certainly a passion for their, their field and, and their, their discipline and wanting to share that with young people were really feeling frustrated with not being able to do that because of the, the behavior problems. And so we said, hey, well, we know how to impact that behavior. Let's you know, do a formal conference. And so we went around doing trainings related with that and, um, and you know, good outcomes, but the amount of time that it took uh, to do those within the framework of a school day was, was a bit challenging and understandably so. So we said, so how can we take those dynamics and, uh, and apply them on a day-to-day, uh, minute-by-minute basis? And uh, that's where, again, uh, we restored uh, practices where we developed that, like how do you inform your daily practice uh, through, through a restorative lens? And so um, you know, one of the premises that we hold is that human beings change their behavior based upon the bonds that they form with one another. I mean, it just... It's simple. It just makes sense, you know. Based upon, you know, mm -hmm. if I if I if I bump into somebody who's uh, I mentioned I play basketball, you know, and I bump into a buddy of mine, <laughs> you know, I haven't seen in a while. I'm going to hug him. I'm going to punch him in the arm, or you know, ah, do all that type of stuff. But if I walk up to a stranger and do the same behavior, I'll probably get arrested, you know. So our, our behavior really changes based upon those connections, and so. The question became, how do, we, how do we take a look at forming these bonds and these relationships and these connections in a proactive way so that we can get some of these outcomes? Um, and so really at its heart, restorative practices is the way you know, that we talk about it, the way that we define it. It really is a leadership model. It's choices that you make as to how you're going to exercise your authority and interact with those uh, you know, that you are in charge of. Uh, you know, and, we, and we roll out, you can be you know, very very punitive and do things you know, uh, to people. I'm sorry, let me back up just real quick. So we say our fundamental hypothesis is that human beings are happier, more cooperative, and more likely to make positive changes in their behavior when those in positions of authority do things with them rather than to them or for them. And so then our aim in school communities uh, becomes to proactively um, develop community and then to manage conflict and tension 
uh, not just by, you know, oh, it's a policy violation, you know, we're going to exclude you or whatever it is, but to manage conflict and tension by taking a look at the harm that was done and how do we restore and repair those, those relationships. And uh, so we challenge people to take a look at how do they exercise their authority and, and we, you know, various ways we roll this out. But we, we say that the two main factors boil down to control and support. Um, control, and some people struggle with that word, and just, you know, and that's fine. I'm not going to say it has to be that. But just this notion that there are expectations. Um, you know, you do need to hold people to high standards. Anything less is, is disrespectful. Uh, but then there's also the support. There's the encouragement. There's the time, the space, the providing of resources, all of those pieces um, that need to be there to have people make these changes and to grow. And so if you look at an interplay between those two, uh, those two factors, you can, you can be kind of like high and low, you know, the, 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 uh, the, the four windows there, place them on a graph from low to high. And mm -hmm. if you're just with the, on the control, you're doing things to people, really punitive, my way or the highway. If you're really low on your expectation but really high on the support, um, you know, it's kind of enabling, doing things for people, not holding them, you know, to high standards. You can be low on control and low on support and kind of, you know, just, just being neglectful and not doing anything. And we encourage people, particularly educators, to balance that high expectation with the support that people need to achieve that. We say that's doing things with people in a, an engaging, participatory, um, supportive uh, manner. We call that being in the with box is the phrase that we like wow. to use. So proactively um, exercising your authority in a way um, that balances high control and high support and really draws upon the power of relationships. Mm. Wow. Great work. <laughs> well, I, I want to go into really just briefly, um, I have a quote that I think is a very powerful one from you that I wanted to share with everyone tonight. And then also just, just want to quickly remind everybody, we do have web questions that have come in tonight, but to also invite anybody that would like to be a live participant in the conversation tonight throughout the evening as every time. Just press 1 on your telephone keypad. That alerts us that, that you'd like to make a comment or ask a question. So that's an open door invitation for this council to be interactive. And the, of course, the intention is for that. Um, some, some nights we have more people in, in the mix, and other nights it's a little bit more of a conversation between myself and the special guest. But um, either way, every night has a very powerful um, just flair to it and some great insights. So just want to make sure that everyone knows that it's, um, this, this council is as much for you as it is for this conversation that Steve and I are having right now. So Steve, I just want to also ask you if you wouldn't mind, um, the, the, Institute, uh, the International Institute of Restorative Practices has a website which is iirp.org. Um, that's iirp.org. Can I interject just really quickly? Um, sure. It's actually .edu. We became. Oh, excuse uh, me. Yeah, yes. that's okay. We became uh, fully accredited. Uh, um, you know, we, so we offer a master's of science degrees in restorative practices, and we uh, in June of of uh, 2011 we got our full accreditation, and that that's when we changed to edu. Great. Thank you so much for that. 
Um, Absolutely. And do you have do you have any other um, before I share this quote? Do you have any other websites that you would like to share with people tonight and make sure that they know um, of, of the other work that is associated with what we're sharing tonight? The other websites that is. Well, um, yeah, yeah. I'm sorry. Are you still there? Yes, I'm here. Okay, that there was a bizarre noise there. I thought we got disconnected. I'm glad we did. Uh, the the uh, the main website is is the iirp.edu, and there is uh, a, a number of uh, a number of things happening there. Uh, you can get connected uh, to our blog through there, and um, uh, get signed up for our e-form, which just it talks about the various events uh, with the IARP or um, updates or happenings in the world of restored, uh, restorative justice, restorative practices. Um, but we also have developed a comprehensive two-year program that we roll out uh, with schools that are interested in fully embedding and imbuing restorative practices in their, in their school and in their culture. Uh, the program is called the Safer Saner Schools, um, Whole School Change Program, Safer Saner Schools. And we actually have a separate website for that. That is safersanerschools.org. Now that is org. Uh, safersanerschools.org. And you can learn a little bit more about our, our two-year program, including uh, essentially what it is is, is like a curriculum. For mm -hmm. um, for the implementation of restorative practices uh, in schools, uh, the real critical part of the of the overview program is what we call the eleven essential elements. Uh, we asked mm -hmm. ourselves, a school that's utilizing restorative practices, we were, you know, what would we look for? What would we see? And we uh, came up with these eleven essential elements, and then created a description um, of, and uh, you know, definition and description of high quality implementation. So we kind of created a rubric for each one of those uh, 11 essential elements. And that's all free to download there on the safercitoschools.org website. Great. Oh my goodness. Great resources tonight, Stephen. Tell, uh, could you tell us if um, there's the capacity for uh, web trainings? Do you do webinars? Um, do you, can people get accreditation through the Institute or through the Safer Saner Schools program? by taking uh, a class online or a training online, or is it mostly um, more where you're located, like in, uh, in person training? Yeah, well, well we, we've, uh, we're able to uh, create what we call um, like hybrid uh, courses, if you will. So um, you know, the, our professional development work is our professional development work, and the graduate work is the graduate work. So they're, they're really, there is, um, you know, there's differences there, um, but you can um, utilize uh, our some of our professional development events and uh, kind of combine that with online work and actually get graduate uh, credit towards a 30 credit uh, masters of uh, restorative masters of science and restorative practices. Um, in education or masters of science and restorative practices and use counseling. And then we also have a third um, uh, track that you can take, which is just a masters of science in restorative practices with your own focus or, or concentration. So um, when we go and we do our full two-year program, there's four days of, um, of PD that's associated with that. So people can 
go through those four days, do 12 hours of, of online coursework, and wind up, if they're eligible for graduate credit, wind up getting three credits for that. Um, but what we also do is we have uh, four-day events. And, uh, and this is uh, actually out of my home state of Pennsylvania right now um, doing some, some consulting and some work in another state. Uh, but I travel quite a bit, and, and, and there's some other folks on the team that, that do as well. And mm -hmm. um, we have these, these four-day events um, where we take people through, like the, our first one is uh, basic restorative practices where you go through um, uh, the introduction to restorative practices and then a discussion about how to use in circles effectively. Um, we also do a facilitating restorative conference uh, day on that and then a day on um, family engagement and empowerment. And we travel around and do those uh, four-day events uh, quite honestly, wherever uh, people will, will have us. And it's really exciting. We've been doing quite a bit of that um, you know, nationally and internationally and getting some really neat turnout related to that. So again, people can, can take that for just straight professional development or they can also combine with the online piece and get graduate credit for that. But that's the prerequisite, going through those, those four um, days of, of PD, uh, the four days of, of seat time. Um, and then after mm -hmm. that, if you're interested, uh, we can now we're at the point where you can take uh, you can take the rest online, and, and so you can get your your masters that way. We have two other four day events. That I just want to say just real quickly. Um, one is one is restorative responses to grief, trauma, and adversity. Uh, it's a four day event, and then we have another four day event called restorative leadership. Uh, I'm sorry, restorative leadership development. Authority with mm -hmm. grace, and uh, so that's for you know, using restorative practices um, from the from the particularly from the leadership or management perspective, the supervisor perspective, and so you can uh, see these events and some descriptions of that on our website at iarp.edu, and we also have a whole series of webinars uh, which you can uh, sign up for there. It's also listed on our uh, website under our professional development uh, tag. And you can go in there and also see, uh, see the, the, uh, the webinars. Um, we, we have, I'm just going to quickly scroll through a couple of family reunification, becoming a restorative manager. Uh, we do uh, work with restorative practices on uh, the campus, college campuses. And we have a webinar on building campus community. Um, trying to see some of the other ones. Ending the school to prison pipeline. Um, so so uh, issues such as that responding to bullying with restorative practices. So that's all available and um, on the website. Mm. Wow, that's so great! Such extensive resources and work that that IIRP is offering and and yourself and um, I just I also want to note too that you you're on the uh, Facebook. You have a Facebook web page at the, again, just um, in the search modem, just search for at the, Institute, the International Institute of Restorative Practices and go there and like it. And there's updates there and, and uh, resources as well. So I'd like to open up the lines. It looks like we have a few hands up and um, then we might get into a little bit more of what I was suggesting earlier. So I just want to welcome Mike. You're live. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, my question to the guest is, when, in uh, wake of the recent shootings, there's been an awful lot of discussion that seems to be primarily focused around 
firearms, and I'm really hearing very little until maybe today uh, on the underlying causes of the violence. And I'm wondering if your guest has any thoughts on that uh, issue. Um, yeah, well, a absolutely. Thank you, Mike, for that question. And uh, you know, you said the the underlying causes of of the, of the violence, and 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 again. Um, you know that that's a very complex issue, and and a, and a number of things to take a look at. Um, if you know you wanted to view that, and that's what we're here for tonight, to view that through the restorative lens. Um, you know, again, we would we would say that uh, you know, and mental health issues and all that, which could be, uh, which I, I believe is certainly uh, a part of this most recent uh, tragedy, which I've just been able to even mentioned without tears coming to my eyes just over the last couple of days. But, um, you know, with those mental health issues and all of that, that's, that's a, another part of it. But um, this, this whole issue with, with the violence in the community, and I saw uh, somebody wrote, um, you know, that we, maybe we shouldn't be calling that a, um, uh, a school shooting, but we should be calling it a shooting in the school. Um, because it's you know it's happening uh, in various places and you know we would say that it's uh, it's the breakdown of of relationship and and connection and uh, you know by no means can I sit here and say oh yeah you know we know exactly what to do to uh, to to stop that I mean that would be ludicrous and we all understand that but um, you know when when people are connected and when they they feel a part of something and they feel that they belong. Um, they have consistent um, opportunities where they have voice, where they're listened to, where their opinions and their thoughts and their feelings matter, um, where systems place emphasis um, not just on getting a job done, even though obviously that's important, but how do we go about doing it in a way that proactively builds community and connection. Um, you know, we say that that's you know that's how we would uh, would want to um, work to try to. I'm, I'm fumbling for some words here because to say prevent or whatever. I mean, those strong words, but um, you know, it comes from this lack of this behavior comes from lack of connection. When when you do not feel a part of something, when you have a distance from other people around you or in the community. It, it makes it easier, if you will, for this type of egregious behavior to take place. Um, but if you feel that connection, it makes it much, much harder, much less likely that type of behavior is going to happen um, in the first place. But the other piece of that is, um, you know, in the wake of, of that, uh, clearly, and that's, you know, uh, a lot of, you know, restorative justice. We've got a lot of people uh, who have been harmed and uh, who are victims of this behavior. Um, you know, obviously not just the direct victims, but people, in this case, around the world, and you know, giving people an opportunity to come together and, to, and just to talk about um, you know, how they've been harmed and the impact that it had on them and, and what they need to be able to move, uh, to move forward is the way that we would, we would respond to that. Um, but just to kind of you know, to wrap up that question a little bit, um, proactively working and focusing on uh, creating a sense of community and connection, uh, we believe, uh, would uh, would have a real positive impact on decreasing that type of behavior. Thank you. Mm. Absolutely. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you so much for that question, Mike. Um, I just 
really want to extend my heart and uh, just well wishes and, and love and prayers to anyone on tonight's call that might, you know, might be in that immediate area. But like you're saying, Steve, this is really about um, an, an entire world that uh, has been shaken by this event and deeply moved and saddened. And I love the way also that you point out the relational aspect of restorative justice. And, you know, you, you also said, you know, the, the, this is a simple thing, we would think. Um, it does seem so simple, and, and yet, um, really, you hit the nail on the head, it seems, about this relational aspect and, and to bring into the fold a real transmission, both spoken and unspoken, of people feeling as if they are seen and heard and could it be that simple, really? Yeah. Well, you know, I mean, when, when you think about it, we, we live, you know, people talk about technology, and, hey, technology is allowing this phone call, this interaction to happen tonight, which is fantastic. But, you know, when you look at it from another perspective, um, and you, you can go to school. You can get groceries delivered to your house. You can run a business um, and, and never leave your home. Um, you know, and not interact with other people. And I mean, we literally have the ability to do that. You can, you know, online school and 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 do all these things and hire people to come in and do all kinds of work. And and you don't really have to have to interact with people. And you know, and the question, and I don't I don't have uh, you know any definitive answers, of course. But you know, what's the impact of that? Um, you know, many 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 right. years ago, we relied on one another. You know, we needed people. We needed to. You know, work the farm together. Or I don't want to get into a history lesson, but all those types of things. But as we, you know, have been able to be much more, just kind of worry about ourselves and individualistic, and I'm, you know, the negative sense of the word, if you will, um, we've just moved away from a reliance upon one another, and um, you know, this, this, uh, we are more disconnected than we've ever been, and uh, mm -hmm. these types of things are, are, are real, um, you know, evidences of that. And, and in, in many ways, it, it, what you've been sharing tonight seems like such the foundation. Uh, if, there, if this were a call to action, um, the things that have come up, you know, knowing that the system has been punitive and, and these v unthinkable events that have been happening more and more in our culture, the call seems to be for what your work and many of the people that are on this call tonight are responding in in these ways more and more and i'm um, we do have some web questions, but I'm curious to know, Steve, what your thought is about where we're at right now in this moment in time with with restorative justice and practices you You referred to some powerful data and statistics. You've seen programs that have been highly successful in reducing reoffense, recidivism, perhaps. Um, where are we at right now? Do you see it spreading like wildfire here in the United States and beyond? Uh, absolutely. I, I, in terms of restorative justice and restorative practices, um, you know, in, in one sense, I think it's an exciting time. Uh, I think a, a, a lot is, is happening around the world. Um, right now, my head is spinning and trying to uh, kind of pull in a, a bunch of ideas when, I, when I'm fully aware of, 
what's happening around the world. Uh, you know, just you know, just ourselves. And we really kind of started doing this work, you know, early 2000, in, in a real, in a real earnest way, in a real organized way. And we're now in 16 countries. And I don't say that like, ooh, ah, look at us. That's that's not why we're in 16 countries. It's it's because people are excited about this work and they're saying, oh, I want to be a part of it. Is there a way that we can connect to this work? And that's the reason why. Uh, you know, we've been able to kind of have such an international uh, presence, if you will, in, in such a such a short amount of time. That's uh, that's a testament to people realizing we're not as connected as we used to be, and we're seeing some real negative um, results from that. Uh, and I think that that is resonating um, and growing around the world, and that's very very exciting. I think more specifically, the work that we do with um, with schools, this uh, you know, repealing um, zero tolerance. And real, um, you know, ending the uh, exclusionary um, uh, disciplinary uh, uh, policies, and um, you know, saying, listen, we can't just throw we can't just throw our kids away anymore. Um, those mm. those days over. We we need to do something. And well, that's fantastic that you know it was so draconian and just and you heard all you know everybody knows the stories about having a you know fingernail file or clipper or something like that, and you know second graders being arrested and all of that, that craziness. And, and so we're moving away from that. But you know, we, what I'm hearing in the schools that we're dealing with, they're getting mandates that you can't suspend anymore. Okay, well, good. But what does that look like? So what do we do? And, and I think that there's a vacuum. Um, mm -hmm. that, that mm -hmm. created that. Just because you know, we pull that away, uh, well, what are we going to put, put in its place? And um, in terms of restorative practices and its implement, implementation in schools, I think it's a very, very exciting time. Mm. Well, I'd like to take another, um, in this case, a web question. And uh, Joshua asks, uh, if you might share some examples, if you have them, of, of ways restorative practices have been used to respond to cases of bullying. Thank you for that question, Joshua. Uh, okay. Um, yeah, uh, absolutely. Um, a story that, uh, that comes to my mind, and uh, it's actually in uh, uh, um, one of the books that uh, uh, you know that we sell. Um, you know, talking about um, utilizing circles in, in different ways and different capacities, and certainly within the classroom. But uh, a school that we were that we were dealing with that was really struggling with some issues um, with bullying, and um, they they did the um, you know the kind of the, the standard thing, and we're going to have an assembly on stop bullying, and we're going to we're going to have posters and. And we're going to, you know, put slogans around, and we're going to do these types of things. And all of that is, all that's 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 good stuff. I'm not saying that, that that that's bad, but the behavior in this particular school, the bullying behavior, and particularly in this class, was was continuing. And um, you know, at some point, you know, somebody said, "Well, what we haven't done is actually sat down and spoken to the to the students about this." And um, so, you know, they brought in somebody, and this was a, a restorative pra practitioner, if you will, and had some experience with some circle work, but where they, they just um, initially just talked about some lighter stuff in, in a circle, just, you know, just a, an adorable thing, something you like or, or whichever, and everybody had a chance to share and, and to hear each other's voice and to kind of settle into it a little bit. And then, and then you know, they started to talk about 
Um, so what are some of the behaviors that, that we're seeing happening here? And people went around and sure enough somebody talked about uh, or alluded to um, some of the bullying behavior. And so then the, the, the person who was running the circle kind of really focused on that and asked another go-around question of, um, you know, so who has, who has witnessed this behavior and, and how does it impact you? How do you feel when you see this? And they talked about that. And, and um, what, you know, what commitments can we make to one another to hold one another accountable for seeing to it that, uh, that this type of uh, bullying behavior um, uh, doesn't happen anymore? And so they made a, they just had a discussion around the hurt, the impact, what it felt like, you know, um, you know, perhaps being victimized by that or viewing it or whatever it is. And in many, many ways, the bullying stopped in this class um, where the students came together and they said, we don't want to treat each other like this anymore. Um, we want this to stop and we're going to hold one another accountable. And, um, and it did. Now, I don't want to say that doesn't mean necessarily there wasn't some other things or there were some other struggles, but the real overt and, um, and problematic bullying behavior that uh, was at the very least being observed and um, blocking students from achieving their education um, was eradicated. Um, it, was, it was ended for the rest of that year. So, um, and we hear, you know, we hear stories about that. When you bring the, the, uh, the key stakeholders to the table, you bring the people who have truly been impacted um, even young kids and give them an opportunity in a safe and honest way to talk about how they've been impacted and what their needs are. Um, you get some very positive, very powerful outcomes. Uh, it is not unusual for the problematic behavior um, to, to, to just cease, to just, to just stop. Mm. Um, absolutely. And Steve, how do you work with resistance to the process? So let's just say, for example, there might be uh, a victim who is just you know, and, and, and rightfully so, really upset and, and not willing whatsoever to consider a restorative process. Or on the other hand, perhaps another stakeholder, as you're saying, um, you know, the community, the, the perpetrator, the victim, um, all being a part of this process. And um, what, what, what are ways that, that you see happening to um, certainly not force anything to happen, but also to, to work with resistance to the process? Well, number one, if, if you've seen that. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, and, and, the, and the first thing, and you just mentioned it there, Molly, um, you, know, you, you get to the level of these formal conferences and all of that, and it is absolutely voluntary. Um, people have to choose to, to want to be a part of it, given a description of, of you know, what it's going to look like and what it's going to be about and what we're trying to achieve, you know, and then everybody that's going to be there is choosing to be there. So that, that's a real critical piece. Uh, but I think your real question is, well, but there's going to be people who are going to be, you know, push back on that a little bit, and how do you get them, them, them comfortable to do that? Well, certainly going back to um, work in schools, and I just looked up and saw the time, so now I'm feeling some pressure to talk a little quicker. Um, you know, the, the traditional uh, disciplinary response in school, you know, has, has led to people not taking responsibility. I mean, you know, the bottom line is it's who done it and what sanction do you get. And so being honest about things, sharing what you did, taking responsibility, uh, it, it hasn't been a particularly smart move. You wind up getting in trouble when you did that or when you do that. So, um, you know, for a lot of people, um, their initial resistance to participating in this is they think it's just a, it's just a way to, it's just going to get them in trouble. You know, they still think that, yeah, maybe this is, 
looks a little different from the outside, but underneath it all, it's, it's the same old uh, traditional discipline. And so, you know, we share with people, um, you know, what it is that we're trying to accomplish, and that's give people a voice and take a look at how can we you know, repair the harm and get everybody back in the right standing in the community or in the school. Um, you know, a big part of this is is proactive. It's 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 much much more of a challenge to kind of do things the standard way, if you will, and then all of a sudden there's a problem and say, hey, let's do a restorative instead of you know this this habitual stance of let's be restorative as we as we do our work. Um, so you want to work to uh, develop proactively this this whole sense of um, it's not just mm. you know uh, it's not just a crime against the Crime against the state. It's not just that you broke up a policy so you're in trouble. Um, we have a responsibility to one another, and when you when you do something that's not okay, you're harming bonds, you're harming people, you're harming relationships. So working on on having that be there in the first place. So you know, and we also think of you know parents who maybe hear some of these things and they say, I just want this child suspended, and, and, and all of these types of things. The bottom line is to give them an opportunity to talk about what their, their real needs are. And the way that I've done it many times, and you know, I have to be careful. I'm not trying to come across as insensitive. Uh, but you know, an angry parent, my child was mistreated, I want this other kid suspended and, and all of this. And I just simply say, I hear it, you sound angry, and, and I don't blame you. If my child was, was harmed or scared or whatever, uh, I, I would be, very, I'd be just as upset as you are, I understand that. So let me just ask you a further question. So you know, one child you know, punched or pushed your child, and the policy in the school is that's a three-day suspension, three-day out-of-school suspension. So you know, your child gets pushed on Monday, and the, uh, the, the uh, offender is suspended for Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. And then they're back in school on Friday. Let me ask you this, Mom. Let me ask you this, Dad. All right, do you feel as though your needs have been met? Do you feel okay with your child going back into the classroom? Have your significant needs been met? And they immediately say, usually drop their shoulders, usually sigh a little bit, and they say, no, my needs haven't been met by the suspension. Mm -hmm. um, and I just, and just facilitated a discussion, well, what, well, what are your needs? What do you, what, do you, what do you want there? And they say over and over again, I want my child to be safe, and I don't want to see this happen again. Um, very, very understandable, and, you know, and common responses to that. To, you know, to you know, when a loved one of yours is, is mistreated, and then they say, "Let it. Let me explain to you how actually going through this process will meet, or much, much, much more likely meet your real needs in the wake of this of this situation." And when it gets explained to people that way, our experience has been that they're much more likely to go along with the process. Mm -hmm. Wow. I love how you, you bring out the importance of sustaining and how that might even tie into a bit of a rewiring of our, you know, our enculturation and our patterning perhaps of, of coming into uh, a culture that is based in somewhat in, in punishment, of course, maybe not just somewhat, and um, helping each other to rewire and rethink and then practice into um, seeing with that restorative lens. How do, how do we do that? How do we, you know, we know that we, we want this. Uh, at least I, I, I know that I'm very much moved, and I know most of us probably are, towards restorative practices and, and sustaining it in our day-to-day -day lives. But, but in really being honest with ourselves, 
um, we know that, that we have work to do around this and how to reframe. And what, what does that look like to you? Well, I, you know, I want to speak um, from my experience um, in schools. And when we talk about these things, right. uh, a really good job of keeping it real simple, real straight. We've codified some things that are kind of a little bit nebulous and, and vague, and we really made it kind of simple to talk about. And when I go through and do the, P, you know, the professional development around the, around the country, across the country, um, people say, oh, yeah, 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 this is good, yeah, this is good, I, you know, I like it, I like it. And, and, um, but then we, you know, we start to take a look at some of the deeper things, and they say, well, hold on a second, hold, wait a minute. Isn't that like giving up power? Isn't that coming across as being weak? And um, you know, kids don't care about one another, you know, that way. And you know, and, and all those things just simply aren't true. And so, the um, you know, some of the some of the initial pushback. And again, you know, I don't want to come across as being insensitive, but a real practical response to that is: so is what we're doing right now working? And people say no. Mm-hmm. Well, let's not let's not put restorative justice and restorative practices up against this this magical um, you know measuring line that if it's not perfect, therefore it's it's not the solution. If it's just a little mm-hmm. better than what mm-hmm. we're doing right now, we're moving right. in the right direction. And evidence says it's significantly better than what we're doing right now. So just from a real practical sense, you know, you know, let's take a look at it. But again, also, oh, I love that. Uh, yeah, I, I'm sorry. you know. Well, sorry to interrupt you, but I just want to say, I want to underscore that, what you just said. Yeah, sure. It doesn't have to be perfect. We don't have to have it be like a, a complete perfection in order to be able to move into it and move towards it and, and create it together. I, it's interesting because what you bring up with that statement is uh, an experiential that I've, I've had in my own community of working with incredible people noticing that we all really were kind of clamoring for, well, what, uh, how do we define this? How does it look? How does it have to be exactly before we can actually implement it? Yeah, and, you know, and quite honestly, that, that's, you know, that's, that's some of the pushback. You know? I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's more of a, a, a defense. And, and again, you can just simply say, you know, is there is there kind of like any anything that we measure that way? And people say no. Um, but you know, it's it's their own fears. It's uh, feeling you know weak and and uh, not going to be respected and, and all of those things that, that we need to speak to. And again, just real quickly, and again, being being mindful of the time here, but you know, it's, you know, one of the things that I say is, have you ever had somebody come up to you? And just look at you straight in the face and just say, hey, listen, I need to let you know, when you used that word or you told that joke or you responded the way that you responded to me, um, that was really hurtful. That was extremely uncomfortable for me and, uh, and very, very hurtful. And I'd like to have an opportunity to talk to you about that. And I say, if you've ever, has anybody ever had an experience like that? And most people will raise their hand. And I say, let me ask you a question. What was running through your mind at that time? Were you thinking, boy, this person is weak? Is that what was going through your mind? And everybody shakes their head and this is no. I said, what was going through your mind? They almost say in unison that this is power and courage and strength. It's the epitome of it. Um, you know, it's even more powerful and courageous than screaming and yelling your heads off. I mean, they are just coming right at me and speaking directly to me. It does not come across in any way as weak. The exact opposite is true. And I just encourage people to take a look at, so, so why do we, you know, when we go to think about it, implementing this in schools, why do we go to it's going to be perceived as weak? Um, 
it's just not reality. It's it's more a reflection of our own concerns, our own fears. Oh, it's just it's so great to hear from you and how you frame it for people. You're so clear with it, and um, and really, I can just really sense you working with kids and and others in in really helping to frame what this truly is all about. Great appreciation of you, Steve, and I'm sure everyone here tonight is as well. And before we close, um, first of all, I just I wanted to bring back in for a moment, um, and hopefully it's okay to go just a, a minute or two over tonight since we started a bit late. Um, could we go back for a moment to the unthinkable that happened last week on Friday? And would you be willing to speak to what might it look like for us to, to come together in our communities or on, a, on a, a larger global level to respond in a restorative way to what occurred? And, and perhaps people have already seen some of these responses happening. I, I know that I was actually involved in what felt like a very restorative response uh, via a webinar not, or a, a web council not unlike this one that we're having tonight last Sunday, um, hosted by James O.D. and um, the, P the Peace Alliance co-hosted it. And there were hundreds of people on that call coming together to just be, be with each other and to share uh, what they were feeling in the moment. So I'm just, uh, would, would you be willing to share just a little bit about what, what would restorative practices look like, given that the, this global community is a part of of, of such a tragic situation, a, a, an unthinkable event that has occurred in our in our world, and um, and you know we know that many of them ha happen, um, and some of them even you know our own government is behind, and so I, I'm just wondering you know when when things like this happen, how do we respond in a restorative way? Well, that's um, you know that's a, that's a, such a, a, a deep and, and complex question, and I just I'm going to give every answer I, I possibly can, and, and I think my best effort is, is just a is just a, a, a beginning, um, you know. But to facilitate experiences where people can come together and talk about the harm, um, and again, when you talk about those types of numbers, it, it makes it a bit mind-boggling and. And there's more creative people than myself who could think about ways to connect people. But I mean, I don't know. Maybe uh, you know some type of uh, you know something that's perhaps even something that's that's streamed or or um, I'm thinking of a, a. It's not coming to my mind. I'm sorry. Where you uh, simulcast or something like that. Um, you know, where maybe even at, mm -hmm. at a at a at a set time where um, you know communities across the country or around the globe. Can maybe come together in various centers and just be in, just be in a circle and just talk about the impact, um, uh, you know, the harm that they experienced and just what they're feeling, and, and just have an opportunity to share that. Um, you know, and again, one of the things you know, in, in those times, people kind of really get into, we got to have an answer, right? And we got to limit guns, and we got to do this, and and uh, you know, even at one point, you know, at some point in all this, I heard someone, oh, I heard the principal let the guy into the school and just all those types of things. I mean, this principle of daily life and, you know, wow, is that, you know, is that what we want to talk about? Maybe at some point we need to have, you know, how do we make sure, you know, we can do some of those things. But 
right now we just need to grieve together and uh, have mm-hmm. an opportunity just to talk about how we've been impacted and let it mm-hmm. sit at that. Um, mm. And then having some discussions of how can we care for one another. And, and again, I use that word, how can we care for one another, very specifically. Um, again, it's not about you know, more metal detectors or any of those types of things. I mean, literally, what do we do right now um, you know, to, to, care, to care for one another? And what is that going to look like? And I also think coming together and having some discussions around, uh, and I, I talked about it earlier on the call, but how do we do the best that we possibly can to make sure that people are feeling included and people are feeling a part of something, that people feel as though they have support systems and people they can go to and, and, and they have a safe place to share what's going on with them. And so, um, you know, again, just embedding that in, in cultures and in classrooms and the schools where, um, you know, people can do that and, and be very proactive about it. Um, so I'm starting to kind of, kind of, a lot of thoughts are kind of cascading in here and getting a, a little lost in it. But, you know, to keep it relatively simple, giving people an opportunity to come together and uh, mm-hmm. to talk about the harm and, and you know, and what they, and what they need. And I think, you know, mm-hmm. particularly in the, in the, in Newtown, in the very community, and what, really what is this going to look like for us? And in my mind, you know, I think about, doing some real concentrated work there or a series of circles or, you know, a number of people facilitating circles in a number of places across the community. And then having, um, as I, I got, this, got this little vision of a, of a uh, I've had for a while of a, like a restorative media outlet where all they do is they view stories strictly through a restorative lens and they share things strictly a restorative lens. That's my own little little dream here. Maybe that'll come about. But um, <laughs> like in some respects, that's happening, I suppose. But um, you know, where then we also have as people. Uh, you know, kind of broadcast out to the rest of the world, hey, look, this is what we're doing here. This is what it looks like here. Take a look at the care that people are demonstrating for one another in a, in a very real way. And this doesn't have to stop here. This level of, of coming together in this care. And like even like after, you know, 9-11, and I've heard people talk about, you know, that sense where we're looking out for one another, obviously a horrific tragedy. Um, but that sense of coming together and caring and, and strangers kind of putting their arms around each other, I mean, could, could we get back to that a little bit more? I mean, that was something mm-hmm. that was really powerful. And, um, you know, kind of taking this and saying, hey, there's a way where we can, we can really start to have a dialogue around living this way intentionally, on purpose all the time, is the phrase that we like to use. Mm. Yeah. Wow, powerful stuff, Steve. And it's just been... The time has flown tonight. <laughs> it really it has. has. <laughs> I'm so grateful to each and every one of you. You are uh, just the really important part of this council, and um, we are so thrilled to have talked with you tonight, Steve, and, and honored and really deep respect for the work that you're doing with with what you've done for decades and to also remind people to please, if you haven't already checked out the International Institute for Restorative Practices website, you can do so by going to iirp.edu. And again, Steve, thank you for correcting me. Um, It's edu, not org. That's iirp.edu. And then also you can find them on Facebook. 
And Steve, again, can you reference to the the other website, please? One um, yes. for yeah. the Go specific ahead. school school based one, safersanerschools.org. Safersanerschools, all one word. dot org. So on behalf of the Peace Alliance, again, Steve, thank you so much for your time with us tonight. And I would just like to say, please come back after this holiday week to join us for a very special telecast with Johan Galtung, a pioneer in the peace building movement. He'll be on with us uh, at a very special time, actually, during the morning on January 2nd, 2013. So we'll be back in the new year. And until then, everyone, have a really beautiful holiday season. Again, thank you, Steve, and everybody have a great night. See you next Thank you, Mark. Thanks, everybody.